You are listening to the Phoenix Podcast with UK life and wellbeing coach Zoe Thompson. Meaningful and light-hearted conversations packed with hints, tips and advice to help you live the life that you want with confidence. Like, subscribe, share and make sure you stay tuned to create the tomorrow you want while learning to love your today. Good evening and thank you if you are joining us live but also welcome if you are listening back. Um, my name is Zoe, Zoe Thompson and I'm from Phoenix Life and Wellbeing Coaching. You are watching another Fire Five at Phoenix. So this is a live episode every week. I'm joined by a different guest each week. This month our topic is managing our emotions. So Jade is here tonight she has brought with her five questions on that topic. Now, I've not seen her questions, so any answers that you hear um, me giving this evening and any conversation that you hear us talking about is all brought in on the fact that Jade has brought those questions in. So Jade um, is from her own company called Whip It. Jade, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Jade from Whippet. Uh, it's a business that myself and my business partner Hassan launched in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, so we're still fairly new. <laughs> uh, we launched, we started creating the business back in March, April, and we launched it officially in July. Um, so yeah, still in our baby business years. But yeah, it's going well. It's a mobile car valeting company, and it's based in around the Bristol area. So yeah, that's it's in, it's incredible, and it? to go from changing your job unexpectedly and then to start a business in the middle of a pandemic is is incredible. So, done, done amazingly, amazingly about. So, for for people who are watching, we will put the details in for Whippet. So, if you are in and around the Bristol area and your car needs a good a good valet, good clean, then uh, Jade and her team will be more than happy to, to help out. Um, so Jade, you've got five, five questions for me this evening. Yes, I do. So I wanted to uh, just be like really authentic, transparent and honest with you. So basically the reason we launched with it is I was in events and obviously the industry got hit really hard. I actually lost my job. I got made redundant. I'd been there for two and a half years. And at the time it was Really devastating so the kind of questions that I've brought today are kind of around um, job loss and um, hopefully you could provide <laughs> some insight so I just wanted to start off with like obviously losing a job I actually view it as a form of grief because I see that it is a form of loss still but I would like to ask you how would you suggest that somebody copes and processes that loss? That's such an such an interesting uh, such a, a topical question at the moment so you know I think that you you've obviously experienced your your job loss I went through redundancy a few years ago um, and I'm hearing lots of people now not just um, not just redundancy and job losses but restructures and that uncertainty around where where their job is going to be over the next 12 months so I think it is a really important topic to to discuss so I think it's a great first question to ask um, I Certainly, when I've had conversations with people around um, uh, around redundancy, around job loss losses, have also talked about it is a grieving process. It is a loss of something, and work's a big part of life, isn't it? We spend yeah. a lot of time and a lot of energy in our work. So, um, 
one of the things that I have talked through with people is the um, Kubler-Ross change curve. So I don't know whether you've ever seen it. And it, it's, it's, I think it's a really helpful model, not just for redundancy, but for any type of change. Um, she put it together um, in the 50s and it was originally around bereavement and around the grieving process. Um, and basically there's three stages. There's the stage that you're in at the very beginning and around you know that that initial response to the to the the news of what that change is then you've got a period of transition in the middle and then you've got the acceptance of and that word that we're hearing a lot at the moment that new the new normal of, of moving yeah. into that acceptance of this is what it is um and i think a lot of people you know that first that initial stage when we hear and we're trying to find and work out what it means for us is, is probably the most difficult time. Um, but then you get into that stage of acceptance and you try and work out what does it mean and where are the opportunities. And, and I think there's a great saying, isn't there, that whenever there's a problem, there's an, there's an opportunity. And, and I think for many people where they have come out of an industry or they've come out of a particular job, whether it's through redundancy or another change that has influenced that, um, quite often it's an opportunity to take that step back and think, okay, what is it I do want? So I need to look for something else. What is it I want to look for? Where do I want to invest my time and my energy? So I think the change curve can be really helpful to understand what's happening and where you are in that process. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, I think, and I think what I did, and it sounds like what you've done as well, um, and I think what's really important for people to do is to check in with what is important to them. What are their values? What is it they want from work? Where do they feel most fulfilled? Where do they want to direct their energy? What's important to them? So I think it's really hard, isn't it? Because naturally everybody says, you know, try and think of the positives, look for the opportunities. And it doesn't feel like that when you first get the news. And I think that's the challenge but I think there is an opportunity even before you start looking what do you want to start looking for so where do you want your next steps to be and it sounds like that's something that you did in I mean you've completely changed the, ind changed the <laughs> yeah. industry that you're in so yeah, yeah. totally turn I think that what you're saying as well like really um yeah just really resonates is like so it kind of leads on to, to my question within a question is that like how do you control that initial panic? Because I remember when I lost my job, my first thought was Ugh, like, it was just that pure panic. And it's like, I think for, and I think that would be common in a lot of people. So it's like, how can you manage that panic and then turn that panic into a positive? Because I think now I, where I am, I can see it as a positive change, but at the time, I was very much in do or die like i was in survival moment uh, yeah. survival mode so yeah how can you how do you process that panic how do you manage that panic to kind of get to the good bit <laughs> i think for for a lot of people panic is made up of some very legitimate things to worry about some very legitimate things that they need to give their attention but also lots of emotions ride into that as well so um i think to get it, it's very hard when it's caught up in our head isn't it it's that it all becomes that and you may the facial expression you did was like that and it is like that isn't it it's like oh what am i doing and it's really, really hard to kind of 
feel like you're in control of it so one of the things that I quite often encourage people to do is to to write it down write down what what is what is it that is behind the panic so you've got panic is the emotion um but what is that telling you so what does the panic tell you what is what is it that sits underneath that and to write all of that down and then to start looking at okay if I had to separate these out what is a legitimate worry that I need to give my attention to what is um what is it that I'm worrying about that probably doesn't need to be worried about or is not in my control and yeah. what what is um, what's the feelings, what are the feelings that are caught up in that? And I think sometimes just putting it down on paper helps to separate those things out. And then you can prioritise worrying about what needs to be worried about or focus on what needs to be focused on. And then you can, you can. it's important to pay attention to the emotions that are wrapped up within it, but you can't do anything with those. So you, your attention needs to be, or your focus needs to be on what you what what you do need to worry and panic is that heightened state emotion isn't it it's having things to worry about but with that in that heightened state so if you can yeah. separate that out that can quite often be really helpful for people yeah I think that's I think that's really good advice I think like with hindsight it's like but at the time it, it was a lot and I think the advice that you just gave would have been really good for me a couple of months ago so it's like it's the funny one so hopefully like people will find that helpful i just wanted to as well is um yeah like we again in the first question you kind of mentioned about like we spend so much time at work and i think that's so true so i just wondered about i don't know it's not it's more like musings rather than a question but like kind of like so obviously you spend so much time at work and obviously a lot of people like their self-esteem and identity is kind of encompassed in their mm. job what they do and it's a big part of who they are you're kind of smiling at me i feel like you know where i'm going <laughs> no, no uh, i don't know where you're going but it resonates with me so yeah <laughs> um and yeah so it's kind of like how do we separate the job loss just being i've lost a job from being i've lost a job and now i feel rubbish and everything is is wrong and you know having that kind of identity crisis that then kind of takes something that is still a big deal but i think ends up making it a bigger deal because then you're kind of questioning like who am i what am i doing and yeah. all those kind of yeah i think there's a question in somewhere if you can dig yeah, that <laughs> that's, that's exactly what i what i went through when when i faced when I when I went through my redundancy, that is exactly what I faced, and I'd I mean, I'd been there twenty years, so I'd like all of my adult years, I had been I had been there. So for me, it was it was a huge part of my identity. I, it literally felt like it was in my DNA that I'd all you know all of my like all of my adult life experiences had been with that business. So when I thought about different life experiences, I knew what department I was working with because that was my friendship circle. You know, I knew where I was and it was so much a part of my, my personal journey as much as it was a professional journey. So the redundancy for me had a huge impact on like, well, what if I'm not here and I'm not doing this job, like who, who am I, what can I do? Um, but also around my self-worth of yeah. value, providing value of that came into question of even though, you know, logically it's a financial decision, it's an organizational structure decision. 
even though you know logically that's what's going on it's very hard to think well how if they can go on without me so easily what did I contribute that's it. like literally what yep. you just described was what I, they didn't get the company I used to work for they didn't get rid of everyone so the fact that that I ended up going unfortunately along with a lot of people it was like was I not good enough like did I do something wrong am I did I fail so yeah I can I can I can really relate and it's it's tough it's it's that tough thing isn't it if you you feel like you're part of the cog in the big wheel and so even though you you know like it's not that your you know it's not that your um ego is that high that you think the whole organization is going to fall apart because you're not there you know yeah. that but at the same point and i don't know what it was like for you but for me i had to work my notice and so i sat there while i was removed from meetings i was removed from conversations i was you know it, my work was distributed out while i was still there so i had to sit there and watch it happen which was not pleasant at all yeah, um, and it was it was really difficult because it was like i'm still here i can still contribute i can still i can still be a part of this throughout the notice period that's not the decision that was made and so then I just completely disengaged because it was like well you know and it that was my survival my the survival mode for me kicked in in that okay if I'm going to get through this then I need to put my energy and focus into something that feels more positive and that was on the next step rather than in trying to keep something going that that was done so I think it's really you know work is a really big it's really it is part of our identity because we spend you know it's a hat that we wear isn't it it's a role that that we play and so I, I think, think as well like in everyday conversations it's like oh hi like you know common questions how old are you like who are you you know like what do you do for a living like where do you live so I think that all kind of contributes to like uh that feeling that work has a very important place in your life because it's something that everyone talks about even in just day-to-day -day, like oh how was work how's things going you know yeah so i think when that's taken away from you that kind of makes those conversations really difficult as well because then you're like well i've, I've been let go and, and it's like oh and i found that really difficult as mm. well like kind of the oh or like Oh, sorry to yeah, hear that. People aren't quite sure how to respond, are they? They're not quite yeah. sure. Like, is it a good thing for you? Is it not a good like? <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's really hard. It's a difficult conversation to approach, isn't it? When when people come back with that answer, and naturally we want to be positive, but that's not always what the person wants either. So it's yeah, and that work is, and and you'll know now that getting to run your own business, that you get to make it almost even more part of your identity and ethos and ethics and values because it's your business whereas when you work for a big organization you're working within the values of that that business so it's preset yeah yeah that influences part of your identity as well because it influences how you how you approach your work so yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a big thing but it's not at what's at core and I think that's, again, that, you know, when I mentioned at the beginning of that opportunity of sitting down, what is important to me? What are my values? What do I want from a workplace? Where do I feel most fulfilled? Where can I contribute most? Where, where do I want to add some significance and add value? 
and then approach it again. Um, I think that's because really good. It's, it's an addition to who we are. It's not it's not at the core of, of who we are. Who you are, yeah. I think that's really important to remember. I definitely forgot about it. And like, I think as well, like if you love what you do, even though you are a cog, sometimes you can give a lot of energy to that. And then when that's taken away, it's where do you then direct that time and that energy? That's what I found really difficult as well. It's like all of a sudden I'd gone from working a million miles an hour you know to to just nothing and that was really hard to um to slow down so yeah I've, I've and that's the really important that. part of work-life balance isn't it of not putting all of your energy and all of your everything that you have to contribute into one into one place so if you you know for somebody who you know if you are somebody who puts all of your eggs in that work basket if that basket gets taken away where do you get? Where do you go when you've got a whole lot of eggs and no basket to put them in? So you have to work yeah. out where you want to go with that. So I think my issue as well is that I've got ADHD, so I find um, that I'm a very hundred mile an hour person. So at the time, it was really difficult to go from um, to to that to nothing. But then in a random turn of events, so I before I joined Whippet. I ended up going back to my care roots, temporarily got a job in an independent living place and then was literally there for a month when Hassan kind of called me with this idea and I was like, okay, because like there was no point where I could just sit there and do nothing. I had to do something and yeah. and I think that's really difficult sometimes because actually if I'd taken that month of like doing nothing, I would have ended up where I am now, but it probably would have been a lot of stressful because again, working, yeah. going back into care in a pandemic was absolutely terrifying. Um, and that was really overwhelming as well, actually. So I'd just gone from a fast paced environment in a different way to a really intense, fast paced environment to then, yeah. like, and it was, I think if I'd had that month, but obviously it's like, you just don't know what's around the corner. So at the time I was just pure panic. Whereas I wish I had kind of done what you said, slowed down, actually had to think about what was it I want rather than being panic driven and worrying about yeah. money and worrying about being a burden. That was my biggest worry actually was being a burden um i didn't want to be a responsibility and i didn't want to have to rely on my partner to provide me which is really stupid because we've been together six years um he's definitely you know but i just couldn't i couldn't do that and even though everyone around me was just saying slow down it's okay it's fine i was like no like i just need to I need to get another job i need to, mm. I need to go and yeah, I, I think slowing down is so important, but I'm a massive hypocrite of that. I just <laughs> but it's it's the it's the the actions that we take with the uncertainty, isn't it? Is doing something is better than doing nothing, and that's how like that's how we feel like we're responding, we're doing something, and that that feels more positive than sitting back and not doing anything. But sometimes sitting back and looking at what the options are and looking at what's important is doing something it's just an extra step before taking the step that makes sense yeah yeah i think that leads on to my next question about like shame mm. i felt like a lot of shame felt very shameful um i'm also very proud i find it really hard to ask for help ever um from anyone whereas like i said like now i can reflect back it's like oh I wish that I, I'd asked for help or I wish that I'd taken some time off or I wish that I just accepted my partner's offer to, you know, but I just felt this really strong shame and sense of I had to be really independent. And I think as well, like social media 
almost mm -hmm. reinforces that as well. Um, so I was going to say to you, for people that experience shame and really struggle to ask for help um, and find it difficult to put out anything other than everything's fine, everything's fine, even if everything's yeah. not fine, what advice do you have for them? So it's a difficult one, isn't it? And I and I think, and and I know we've we've had this this conversation, albeit um, on on comments on on a, a post on LinkedIn, but about balances and characteristics characteristics being overdone and out of balance. And so I think that pride element is a great character, a great characteristic, a great behaviour to have. But if it's overdone and we're not mm. asking for help and we're not sort of sharing responsibility then it and some of those feelings and the negative uncomfortable emotions come into play like shame so I think it's it is a difficult one I it kind of feeds in with the conversation I was having with Stuart um, on last week's session of most people who are around us want to be able to help they want to be part of the solution they see that you are having a trouble having trouble with a problem and most people want to be a part of the solution they want to help they want to be feeling like they are supporting you um, so I think it, it comes down to that knowing what you need help with and then being allowing people to step in and be a part of the solution and I think we all know how we feel and, and interestingly I think a lot of people who struggle to ask for help are always the ones that help other people no, this is so, what I was just thinking I was thinking I was like the silly thing is is that if anybody asked me for help I would never ever ever say no but yeah. then in that same breath I would also never ever ever ask for help at the same time it's really it's a really weird dynamic it is a weird dynamic because you know how you feel when you help somebody you you know that it's not just it's not just something that is helpful for them it's something that that you take something from as well so yeah. when you say no to people who are offering help you are denying them of that role in being supportive to you so it creates an imbalance within that friendship or relationship because sure, it's so interesting because I've actually been called a really selfish friend before because they were basically saying they felt that it was a really unbalanced friendship because they felt that I would never ever ask for help and if I ever had a problem I would never go to them and I would go to them after the problem's been fixed to be like oh a couple of months ago I had a really hard time but it's fine now and they always said that it, they used to find it really really frustrating they actually called me out on it because they were like when you're in a relationship whether it's friendship relationship it needs to be equal and they just felt like they weren't getting that from me and until that point i'd never ever seen seen it as as that before so it's really interesting that you've just said that because i'd never it's, ever it's good, thought that it's good intentions on both sides isn't it because it's it's a good intention from the person who doesn't want to ask for help because they don't want to burden or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to put on other people. And especially at the moment, everybody's trying to work out what everybody's trying to get through, aren't they? And, and so we don't want to add to what everybody else is working through. But ultimately, we're, if people are offering help and we say no, we're, we're denying them of all of the things that we know we we enjoy that feeling of being able to know that we're 
being a part of making things better for people. So it is part of that energy dynamic. Um, one of the things that I talk through um, quite often uh, when, when we come through with certain topics on the Thrive programme is the energy exchange with friendships and relationships. So we look at it from the perspective of how we fulfil our, our needs, the psychological and emotional needs, how we fulfil that within ourselves, but also how other people help to fulfil those needs. And so I quite often use the analogy of, of relationships and friendships should be like a joint bank account. So over, over time, you should both be paying in and you should both be withdrawing. But if you were to look at the record of the time that you've been together, it should be fairly equal in, in how much you've been paying in and how much you've been drawing out. It's never going to be, or very rarely is it going to be a very balanced sort of equal because you'll go through something and then they'll go through something so yeah, yeah at some point you need to give a little bit more and sometimes you need to take a little bit more but overall you should both be paying in and withdrawing fairly equally and you don't want it to be in overdrawn where you're both taking and you don't want to be that constant both paying in and never taking from it either so it's it's got to feel fairly equal and so I think sometimes using that analogy can quite often help people. It's to so think, interesting, honestly, like, it's just, it's just fascinating. So I'm, I know I'm really bad for that. And it's weird because like, even though I, I now have that awareness, it's how do you manage that feeling of being a burden? Because I think, like you said, like, everything's really bleak at the moment. Like, LinkedIn's mm -hmm. quite bleak, like, news is quite bleak, everything's quite bleak. So it's kind of that thing of, with someone like myself if you have a problem how do you get rid of that sense of well my problem's not as important as someone else's like how do you manage that feeling of a you know being a burden and keeping that in you know yeah, um, yeah. I think it's, it's also that trust that people will say no that if it is too much and they're not they haven't got capacity to help that they will they will say no or not now or I can do this but not that and so I think that's it's knowing that that friendship or that relationship is honest enough to say I need help but also knowing that if that other person can't do that or can only meet you halfway or can only do certain bits of it that they will be honest enough to tell you so sometimes it's just that free uh front loading the the request isn't it of you can say no to this or, <laughs> I know that you have lots going on but I could really do with this or x y and z what do i need what do i need help with i think it's it's both ways and it's knowing what you want support with so that you get specifically what it is that you need help and support with um but also giving that person permission to say no if it is too much and they've got other stuff going on it's, it's just it's an open and honest conversation isn't it yeah i think yeah and i know i'm really bad for it so i think i've always kind of argue for myself that self-awareness is the kind of first step to addressing yeah. it but then actually I don't know what the next step is from that so it's recognizing that I have that recognizing that I don't want to be a burden but then how do you get from that point from from there to then not well, well ultimately the, the, ultimately the second question is is if if I don't what will I end up feeling and, and for a lot of people, they'll end up feeling resentful because the relationship is imbalanced and because that person always comes to them, but they never help. Yeah. Or they always come to you when they need something, but they don't ever help you. So you're, you then become resentful 
or potentially people become resentful of an imbalance that they have either created or enabled. It's interesting. And I know I'm really bad for it, but that is actually really helpful, especially for, well, if there are other people like me, I think as well, like not to stereotype, but I know it's something that my partner really struggles with. I think men find that quite difficult too. Um, I, I think obviously women do, I know that I do obviously, but I think, yeah, it's difficult to kind of open up and kind of share and, yeah I can definitely see why um it's helpful to call it out and I know you said that you had a friend that called it out for you so I think sometimes it is helpful to call it out and and sometimes it's helpful for the other person to say I know you're never going to ask for this so what do you want me to do <laughs> what, what I, I need, it, it's almost um flipping the switch a little bit and saying I know that you're never going to ask me for help I know yeah. that you could probably do with some help right now. So do you want me to do this or do you want me to do this? <laughs> Be more directive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some, sometimes, but I think that's sometimes that's the beauty of an honest relationship, isn't it? Or an honest friendship of saying, these are the things that I struggle with. I find it really difficult to ask for help. So when I tell you this, this is what, this is what you can I need do. Yeah. 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 Lots to think about, yeah. <laughs> right, I do have some more questions I've actually written down. Some of them are more just, um, I don't know, like things for us to kind of that I've noticed and I'd really love to know your kind of opinion around it. I don't know if that counts as a question, but I'll throw that anyway. Um, so there's been a lot of stories um, about people like, you know, saying like losing jobs and taking a step back, but there's also been a lot of stories about people losing jobs and taking lower level roles than what they were previously in. And what mm -hmm. I've noticed, especially on LinkedIn, there's been a lot of discussion around that. So it's just kind of, I personally don't see any shame in it. I think that like, if I think there's no shame in any job role that you do, I think if you love what you do, then you automatically get a sense of pride. But I know that other people don't necessarily feel the same and there's a lot of people that would never ever take a job role lower than what they are in currently so I was just kind of wondering if you've noticed those discussions as well and what kind of your view on it is too like I said it's not really a question but kind of is so, so just check we're on the same page with this so this <laughs> would be where somebody has been uh furloughed made redundant and so um I've I have seen posts where somebody's taken taken on a role as maybe a delivery driver but yeah or like in, roles or going into Tesco's or whatever just yeah anything so like I think that, I yeah. saw one where it was somebody who was a pilot who obviously can't fly anywhere and so had taken on the role of a delivery driver for a supermarket and had posted um that you know they they were you know that that there was no pride here that they were contributing and they were really enjoying their job. And the discussion that created, I thought was really interesting because there was almost, you know, ego comes into play of, well, I did, you, you know, I am, a, I am a pilot, but also <laughs> that sort of pride of, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to still be working, but there were, it was interesting to see people's responses in, you could almost, it would be an assumption um, of where people were at in some of the comments. So there were some people sort of saying, well, you know, any, any, every job adds value, every job, 
you know, contributes to the community, society, the economy, etc. There were other people that were sort of saying, well, you didn't need to tell us that you were a pilot. You know, there's the ego element and it's just, right. just different people's responses were really interesting. Um, I think it it's interesting what people feel the need to post and what people feel the need to share. Um, it's interesting the conversation that it creates when people do that and where people's heads are at when they respond and how they interpret the post. I think that's... I think that's really important, actually, is how it's interpreted, yeah. So there were some people who got really annoyed about it, of like, well, you're saying, you know, you're saying that this, the delivery role is is not a very worthy post and that, you know, that you've dropped your standards or you've taken this role because, you're, you know, you want us to see you as a good person, but basically you've just been very dismissive and quite offensive about all the people who choose to do that as a career the rest of the time so it's it's an interesting one isn't it but it's that it's a personal judgment isn't it on people's belief systems of what they feel is a, a job that is a value or of significance but ultimately it's a very individual thing isn't it of what do you what do you want what do you want from a career what's important to you and for some people it will be around training and development and and possibly some professional pride and in ego in that as well because it's a, a role with status and for some people it's about having a role with contribution and significance to people who they feel are important so you know being able to deliver food to somebody who's in isolation and being that human contact for somebody in that in that time that's a huge significance a huge contribution so that shouldn't be undermined either but now, if we all wanted the same job there would be a, a huge amount of unemployment and and the, and the world wouldn't tick over would it so i think there's i think we need to respect what people's choices are and that they're making choices that are best for them it might not be what's best for you but it's best for that person and you know some people have been made redundant and taken time out to learn something new some people have taken time out to spend time with their families and some people have you know gone on and done a different role as a temporary measure and some mm. people have not done anything they've chosen to take in some time out but I think we have to respect that people will make the decision that's best for them and the people around them and we can have an opinion on it but that it is opinion isn't it it's not facts yeah. it's its opinion and it's based on our own beliefs and our own values and what we, we might do in that situation it doesn't mean that it would be right for that person yeah i think yeah i think it's really interesting i think as well because it's like yeah like you said it's their individual situation and it's their individual decision and if that's what they feel that they need to do i think it's just all anyone else can do as an outsider is just respect it you might not agree with it you might not like it it's, it might not be something that you would do but you at least need to to respect it so yeah it's interesting yeah. it's the the joys of social media isn't it everybody tries to turn opinion into fact and they yeah. feel that their what they believe and and what their judgment is is the correct one it's not yeah. like that at all really it's interesting well that's the other thing i've seen a lot of recently and again it's more of a discussion i feel like i'm going over my five questions so i'm just going to keep rolling with it until you tell me off yeah, <laughs> So the other thing I've seen is actually lots of stories of people being taken advantage of by the by 
don't want to call out recruitment because it's not recruitment, but by businesses, recruiters, because of the current job market um, as a result of COVID. So I think the other thing is like, that I would, well, I don't know, again, I'd love to discuss, and I'm quite opinionated at this, is like, I really believe in people knowing their worth, and even if they're in that panic mode, just believing that that they are, you know, if they get a job offer and then someone withdraws it or change it, it's just being kind of strong enough to know that they're, what they're worth, I don't know, I feel like I'm yeah. rambling now, but like, I just, I keep seeing all these horror stories, and I just, I think it's awful that employers are using COVID as a way of taking advantage of people who are actually quite vulnerable, I would argue, mm-hmm. um, in terms of like their mental well-being, but also financial well-being as well. Um, so I was just wondering what your kind of views were on that too. I have, I don't think I've seen, don't think I've seen an awful lot, but then I've got to be honest, I have been consciously reducing my time on social media for some of these reasons. So. <laughs> Um, it's a difficult one and I and I think I'm sure if you sat down with certain individuals in certain companies they wouldn't they would see this with a slightly different angle maybe they would be they might have a they might see it very differently the outcome for the individual who's affected will be the same but they might have seen it very differently and I think it's a really difficult one Um, I think yeah that uncertainty and people making decisions that aren't necessarily fully informed decisions or their decisions based on fear or scarcity or uncertainty are not always, in fact, most of the time, they're not gonna be the best decisions, certainly longer term. Um, I think it's like like you, you know, people can make short-term decisions, um, you know, that, well, I'll, I'll do this and then take a different step. You know, certainly within the job market, most decisions aren't permanent so if you make a decision and go into a particular role and that role is not a good fit for you then you can make a different decision and and move on and I think some people making a decision and going into temporary work is a better option than not having any work at all Um, again it's values and beliefs isn't it of of how people filter what their options are um, but also how that's influenced by people around them but also by social media so I think it's people we want people to make the decision that's best for them mm-hmm. but that can be heavily influenced by other people and I think that's what you're what what you're picking up on is is people who are influencing these decisions that might have a company's interest at the front of their mind rather than the individual's interest at the front of their mind I think what I'm feeling, like I feel like I'm noticing a pattern, is like what everything goes back to is what you said at the very, very start, and that's the importance of writing things down, acknowledging what is panic, what is not panic, what's important, what can I deal with later, like what's kind of ego and what's not ego. And honestly, I kind of feel like that's the theme really, is that mm. and it's just so important. I think you can, it's really helpful practical advice that people can pretty much apply um, not just to job loss, but to any kind of form of panic. Um, and I, I think that's really useful. So mm-hmm. I think what you said at the very start is just totally true now to a lot of these different situations. I think just taking that time out and trying to separate what is panic and what is maybe right for you and just kind of trying to find a way that you can a- appease both sides. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, I think, I think it's just... I think it is, uh, you, you use the term step back 
And and I think that's what's really important is it's very hard to see it when you're in it. And so until you take that step back and see the whole picture and see what your different options are and see what, well, if I choose this option, what will their potential outcomes be? If I choose this, what might happen? If I choose this, what might happen? It's very hard to do that if you're in it because it's all around you rather than taking a step back and looking to see what's in front of you. And I think that can that can make a big, you know, I think that's the the benefit of writing it down is that you take the step back and you see it all laid out in front of you. You get to see the whole picture um, and you get to separate the emotions from the, the facts that are in front of you. And so that's that's why it helps. Um, but yeah, if you're in it and you're not taking the step back, it's very, you don't get to see all of it because it's yeah. in it, so it's 360. Cool. So my last question out of the more than five I've asked. Um, I don't think anyone. Actually, no, I think Stuart asked a straight five. I think he's the first one in like okay. eating. <laughs> so, yeah, you're in, you're in good company. It's fine. My so much important thing so. to cover. Um, I wanted to kind of end on a practical question as in like practical help and advice that you can kind of offer. Um, mm -hmm. It's not so much kind of like job related, but it's more in terms of people's like mental health and like general well-being. And I was just wondering, like, do you know of any maybe like alternative suggestions and resources for people who are feeling low or vulnerable that they can access? Because, for instance, I know like with doctor surgeries, a lot of it at the moment is, you know, don't come in unless it's urgent. So I think people with you know, like whilst mental health is very important, it's not necessarily viewed as like life threatening. So just yeah. in terms of like what kind of resources are out there or what uh, coping mechanisms would you suggest that if someone is having a hard time or they are feeling low or they are in that panic, obviously we've talked about writing it down. Um, is there any other, I don't know, uh, resources that you could call companies or I don't know that you could recommend that people might find helpful? Uh, there's a there's a lot of free resources out there that people can turn to. If you go to any, uh, you know, the very well known sort of mental well being, mental health sites, that there's lots of free resources on there. So the um, the Samaritans have got lots of resources on there that will help. Um, Mind Mind UK have or Mind.org, I think it is. They've got lots of resources. Um, the mental health, uh, the mental health first aid. England website they've got lots of resources they've got a great um the stress bucket um there's a, a graphic uh, an animated graphic that helps you to look at where your stress levels are that's that's really helpful um there's other websites that I believe perform they do lots of infographics around things that you can try that will help if you're feeling overwhelmed anxious um depressed they're really helpful. So there's lots and lots of free resources out there. Um, books that I always recommend. Um, there's uh, Shut Up and Move On by Paul McGee. That's a great book. Um, it, Sumo. Uh, it's it's not as savage as it sounds. It's very practical. Lots of really um, very visual examples that help you remember. And he's got seven questions to ask when you are faced with a problem that help you to get that perspective nice and early on so that that's a great book um there's if you want to understand how the brain works there's the chimp paradox dr steve peters and uh cavemen and polar bears by andy workman who's a, a local author um they're both really helpful very kind of um very real is 
easy to read because it's a very technical subject, but it's not not what I would call academic books. They they make it easy for for people like me to understand. Um, there's a huge amount of resources out there. <clears throat> there's lots of people in the well-being industry who um, are there to support. Um, but again, it's a very personal choice of what people are looking for. So, you know, I think um, a lot of it is that people don't from like the conversations that I've had with people is like when people are in that, they recognise that they need help, they then aren't sure where to go to then access it. So I think yeah. the kind of aim of the question is just to be just to give someone a starting point, because yeah. then at least from there they can lead on. I think you gave loads of really useful, especially as well, what I loved is that you gave a variety, because for instance, people might not want to engage the talking, so then they've got the reading option or there's yeah. the kind of resources online. So I think that's a really nice, um like tips and advice and guidance really because yeah then people can kind of choose what to do with that yeah and it is it is a very personal choice i mean I, with coaching it's about where you are now forward facing um more sort of action solution focused so you know where where are you now where do you want to get to and counseling is much more the talking therapy of what has happened that's got you to where you are now so both have you know, again, it's that very personal choice, isn't it, of what, where, where do you feel you need to be? And sometimes people come to me for coaching and they need, you know, my recommendation is that they might want to do some counselling first. And sometimes people come to me because they've finished counselling or counselling didn't work, you know, not didn't work for them, but didn't feel like a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. And then so they want to face forward and 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 have some a plan of action to move on with sort of the practical day to day stuff. So it, it is a very personal, very personal choice. And, and I think the well-being industry is big. It needs to be big because the demand is big. Um, yeah. But it is like you said, it's a very individual choice of working out where do you feel comfortable taking that first step? Um, for a lot of people booking in a call with a coach or a counsellor is a big first step to take but actually yeah. sitting and looking at some online materials or reading a book might not feel like such a big step so it is about a the first step is important taking a step is important but it's finding a good first step for you and just because it worked for somebody else doesn't mean it's a good fit for you, right and, you. and yeah. being comfortable enough to say this is what I'm looking for what what fits with this and and asking again it's the asking for asking for help isn't it? <laughs> a main themes of the evening it's okay to ask for help and it's good to write things down <laughs> yeah, so, yeah that's a good a good summary of what's come up <laughs> it yeah. sounds very simple when you talk it through in this kind of situation but actually when you're stuck and you're in it you know because it's happened to you fairly recently i still remember how that felt of i don't know what to do i don't know what decision is best i don't know how i feel about it one minute i feel this the next minute i feel something completely different you know people around me don't know what my emotions are. i can't explain my emotions let alone for people around me to understand what my emotions are so it's when it's a conversation like this, it's nice and easy to be able to talk it through. But when you're I in it, by talking it through it. makes it nice and easy, you know. So it's like I can be reflective because I'm you're challenging some of the ways that I think. So it's 
by talking this through, it makes it simple, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. like, um, so I think, I guess as well, like you kind of highlight the importance of a soundboard and the importance of having someone that you can be transparent and honest with, because I think that back and forth is actually so, so important, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think a, a good soundboard doesn't need to be a professional. It it could be a friend or a partner. The the bonus of it being a professional is that we we're not emotionally involved or emotionally invested in the outcome. So whilst we want what's best for you, we it, we leave it firmly in your in your hands to work out what that is. Whereas I think with friends and family, of quite often they they might influence that because you care about what they think and, and, and they give you solutions or they give you options. Whereas we just bounce. Things I think back. sometimes they can be sat in that panic with you as well, which yeah. unless they're kind of taking the steps that we talked about, it's then you're just in this bubble of panic really. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's, I think that's the benefit of the, you know, the professional is that they're not in that panic with you they're the safe space and the calm to give you time to to work that through but yeah you know, like we said it's very different for different different people and it is about I think taking the first step is what's important what that first step looks like is very different for different people and it's working out what what's best what's best for you really yeah great questions <laughs> some of the word questions but i'll accept it <laughs> no, that, that's well technically then you you might not have overdone your five it's the advantage of, of knowing that i'm terrible at maths and even counting to five is a bit of an issue for me so <laughs> it means as long as as long as we're within the time limit you can kind of sneak in as many as you want so uh thank you so much for bringing some really just really important topics into conversation and I know there's lots of people out there and people will watch this back and hopefully find find information in there that's helpful to them but it's great that you've shared your experiences and and brought such important topics into into conversation so thank you so much thank you for having me and for being so transparent and challenging but in a really really positive way I think it just goes to show that it doesn't matter what kind of pace you're in you can still learn something from other people and I, I think for me you just kind of highlighted how important it is to have a soundboard and I really love I think what I'll be taking away from today is definitely the bank analogy um mm. I just I just really love that I just think it's really really important so yeah thank you <laughs> brilliant such a great conversation and I really do appreciate appreciate and value your time thank you um so i this will get this will go up so it's here on youtube it will go up on uh, instagram twitter linkedin facebook all of the usual places we will, tag, <laughs> we will tag you and whip it in so people can come and find you um so bristol and surrounding areas right yes that's fantastic <laughs> for now who for knows, now <laughs> who knows where it may grow and and take over next fantastic thank you so much um thank you if you're watching back if you do have any questions or comments please do feel free to put them into the comment section whichever platform you are on i will keep my eye out for them and answer them as they come through but thank you very much and we will see you again next week Yay. thank you jade <laughs> wait a minute don't forget to like share and, and subscribe, subscribe.